Hello and welcome listeners to the Let's Talk About Grief podcast. If you followed or listened to previous episodes, you'll know I like to offer hope by sharing my guest stories with you. You get to hear how they have navigated their own grief, which can be both helpful and healing, knowing you too can move forward after a loss. If this is your first time and you don't know me, I'm Andy Butte, your host and author of Grief's Abyss. And this is part of my mission to help demystify grief. Hello and welcome listeners to another podcast where we have the privilege of remarkable guest Donna Tashjan. Donna is not only an experienced coach with over 25 years of expertise, she's also an ordained minister, an author and the founder, as well as a podcast host Mm -hmm. of You Were Designed for Greatness. She's also an inspirational storyteller. And her journey towards empowerment and resilience has indeed been shaped by so many of the stories we've heard from our other guests by numerous challenges and losses. And we'll have the honor of delving into Donna's remarkable journey and exploring some of the depths of her experience and learning from her wisdom. Welcome, Donna. Thank you, Anne. It's a pleasure to be here today. Thank you. Now, that's quite a lot to unpack. (laughs) So (laughs) let's start. I mentioned that your life has been shaped by numerous challenges. And before, I believe we spoke that um, I'm not sure if they began before 15 or that was your earliest. But would you like to share a bit more about your journey? Absolutely. I would say it started before. Uh, Then, as most things do, our childhood shapes our beliefs about ourselves. So I uh, grew up in a blended family. I did not have a relationship with my biological father. And for people who have had that kind of experience, we know that abandonment affects how we see ourselves and how we see the world. And so there was this struggle to feel worthy or loved at a very young age for a little girl. Mm. Um, And then at the age when I was 14, someone that was close to us, the way I describe it is hurt me and I became pregnant. Mm. So it wasn't a consensual situation. And at the age of 15, I became a mother. Do you remember where you were when you were 15? It's just like thinking about where we were when those stages that happened in our life. And I did raise, I had a little girl and I did raise her. And so to describe the next years, I really had a struggle trying to find adjectives to describe it. And so Some of the first losses that I would talk about for grief to me is anything that hits us. It's shocking to our soul and our mind have things that were supposed to be one way and are not. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I was in my little, the young, the youngest child, 
was I was supposed to have, you know, a daddy that loved me, or at least I, you know, that kind of thing that didn't happen. Um, I ended up with one. So the story gets good. But, um, and then all of a sudden, I, I was a, I hate to admit this on the air. I liked romance novels. Mm. And so I had this as most dreamers, little girls or you know, young teenage girls are dreaming how high school was going to be. And I was going to go to the prom and I would, we were in a football community. I hung out with the cheerleaders and, you know, Friday night was football night. Anybody that grew up in that kind of, and so all of this mind of how high school was going to be mm-hmm. came to a screeching halt. And all of a sudden, I'm now isolated. This is before internet. So there was no cell phones. There was nobody to talk to. There was nothing on social. There was nothing like that. So when I was isolated, I was truly isolated. And now I'm expecting a child. How and how am I going to do life? All of my dreams. Will anybody ever love me? were all of the feelings that I had at that age. Mm -hmm. Oh, Donna, I cannot even begin to imagine what that must have been like for you. You mentioned abandonment from your own birth father, and here was almost an abandonment of of your own daughter. But it would be different because the way you describe it, I'm certain you didn't want anything to do with this person in right. in either of your lives. Right. And at that age, you were a child. <laughs> exactly. But I was thinking that you mentioned romance books. And I think most young girls yeah. um, of that era Mm -hmm. I'm pretty certain it still happens today we all believe that there's going to be somebody out there to rescue us a prince charming uh, and yeah especially oh my goodness Donna you mentioned so much there you were in with what I can only account for as the cool kids if you were with the cheerleaders and the football and and what have you and obviously very well accepted at school rather than being feeling that you were isolated and pulling yourself back that doesn't seem to have happened and all of a sudden you discover that you are pregnant did you share that with anybody at school with your you know close friends The transition that had occurred, I had changed schools and in the summer and then wasn't, didn't get to start school. Mm. So, um, I wasn't able to, so no, no one, there wasn't friends that knew or anything like that. And it is, it is, um, it was very jarring trying to figure out how am I now going to finish high school? Cause you couldn't go to public high school. And, and my parents were embarrassed and, you know, there was a lot of shame and anger and resentment and all of those kind of things of what this was going to look like. I did one of the the saving graces for me is I did have a relationship with God 
And so mm. that was something that was forged deeper in the time of isolation when you have nowhere else to turn. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know how. I remember sitting shortly after I brought my daughter home, crying, holding her, going, I'm going to be the best mom I can be, but I don't know how to do this. Wow. I don't know how I'm going to support you. I don't know how I'm going to finish high school. I don't know what this is going to look like. Mm -hmm. And that was a time. um, So I just knew that I wanted to prove all of the naysayers wrong. Okay. You you can imagine well-meaning people. Oh my goodness. Her life is just over Mm -hmm. and other negative comments and responses that would have been occurring. And so I, I don't know. I'm a redhead and there was a little bit of sass and I'm like, I'm just going to prove them all wrong. I don't really know how, but I'm going to prove them all wrong. But it took, I remember when I met my future husband and wondering, will he stick around? Am I really worthy of love? And Mm. all of those feelings we had, um, we've now been there married almost 39 years. Wow. Congratulations. (laughs) We had a joke where we would, where he would say he loved me or I looked, it wasn't really a joke, but he loved me or I looked nice that day. And I would pretend as if I was hard of hearing and go, what? Mm -hmm. Just so I could hear him say it again. Mm, You were just so starved for love, I would imagine. I needed to believe it. I needed to learn how to believe it. And so, um, every once in a while, I'll do it just again for fun, but learning to, I was so insecure when we first got married and so trying to figure out what life would look like and going from that place to now being the founder of Vibrant Living International and helping people across the world to overcome adversity and yeah. fulfill their dreams We get stuck in the moment. And when we're there, it feels like it's going to be forever. And that is the, that is it. You've hit the nail on the head. When adversity of that nature uh, happens, it feels like it's going to go on forever. Congratulations on having a thriving um, international a business. And I guess that goes back to your testament of being a redhead and proving everybody <laughs> a little bit wrong. So I think that's fabulous. I'd like to just cycle back to what you mentioned. So you had the baby, but were your parents around or was it their shame and guilt or was it yours? I wasn't too certain when you mentioned that. Probably both. Yes. Um, I I lived with my parents until right before I turned 18. And so, yes, they, they did give me a place to stay. I mean, they didn't kick me out or anything like that. Mm-hmm. But um, there, there was, I mean, even, even wanting to go to the mall, um, my mother felt like I should be, I shouldn't want to be out in public. Mm. Um, and so 
that there was tension with that kind of behavior. But I finished high school before I was 17. And it's what we would call homeschooling. But it was where you they mailed you your textbook and your homework and test and you mailed it back in. I know I'm sounding ancient, but there was a day when there wasn't internet. (laughs) You couldn't just do it. So I would literally take tests and do homework, put them in an envelope, stamp them, mail them them. They would grade them and send them back. And so I finished four years of high school and uh, two years, I think, two and a half years, something like that. Congratulations on that. That's no um, me feat, is it? (laughs) So I was... uh, employed and had my own place by the time I was 18. And I'm 18 with a three-year-old, just to give mm. you a frame of reference. So so it sounds as if you probably had to grow up very quickly uh, to become an adult, to be able to do all those things. You mentioned you had a relationship with God. Very often when things like that happen, people can turn their backs on God and blame God for it all. But it had the opposite effect. It brought you closer. Mm -hmm. That's true. It absolutely did. And yes, it can have one or the other. People can choose. But I had, um, I would call it an encounter with God when I was 12. And so that had no clue what would be happening in two years, but learning to be able to deepen that and and forge that. Because even if we do, as you put it, turn our backs on God, he's still there. He's still very Um, much there. Yeah. Yeah. Can you explain what your encounter with God was like for you? Um going back to when I was 12. (laughs) Uh, I, one of the things that occurred is I was baptized and I had made a decision to um, make Jesus my Lord and savior. Mm -hmm. And it was a very real experiential experience for me. Okay. In what way did you feel the presence of somebody else there supporting you? Did do you feel more love? What was the feeling? What was it you? I would say all of that. All of yeah. it. Okay. When I say experiential, I mean you feel it. It's not okay. just, it's not just in your head. It's just mm-hmm. not, it's not just information, you know, into intellectual. When yeah. I when I talk about experiencing God, it means I feel his presence. There okay. is something that is an experience, not just um, intellectual. Yeah. Thank you for presencing all that. I've had a few guests say that when anything challenging has happened, they hand it all over to God. And I've just for the listeners, what does that even look like? Yeah. Uh, so I usually, I hope you don't think I was no. making light of it. I was just more curious to bring that out, what it, what it could feel like, because I'm certain a lot of our listeners may have actually felt that, but perhaps they didn't recognize it at the time. Yes. 
Well, things like the way that that looked as I would walk it out is um, I would read the Bible, God's word, and there and I would apply the promises that God had spoken in his word to my life. And one of them is in the Old Testament, and it says my my children, the people, the people that follow me. My seed is another word that's used in there is will not beg for bread. Mm. And I literally didn't know how I would eat and feed my daughter some days. Yeah. And so it wasn't something that was just a Sunday morning message. Mm -hmm. This was something that I was walking out. God, you promised that I wouldn't go without food. So I'm believing that you'll take care of us. When I don't know how, I'm doing all I can do. Um, I made one dollar too much to get social services assistant. I was working full time, and I made one dollar too much. Oh, so I could get no help. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I could have quit, and they would have mm-hmm. taken care of everything. And but that's not who I was. Mm-hmm. So learning to be able to. When I, it was a daily activity to have the connection with God for me. Okay. So that was what helped you get through that, that time. How did you deal with the feelings of anger and shame yourself? What was that process for you? Because it must have taken you a while to be able to work through some of those, some of those. Um, I don't really know the time element, but I began quickly to apply, uh, forgiveness and releasing those things, the judgment, the anger, the feelings. Um, but yes, it was a process where I had more and more revelation of what that feels like and looks like and to walk that out. But it began a process. I began doing that very early on of forgiving the incident, the per- the people involved, all of the, there was a lot of forgiveness needed <laughs> and, learning, like and learning how to leave. Um, you know, when you're angry, one of the Bible verses is vengeance is mine, says the Lord. And I lift my hand. Can you use me to do it? You know, I'd like to punch somebody or do something, <laughs> you know, but learning that when the forgiveness is not about the other person, exactly. forgiveness is not whether they deserve it or they're mm-hmm. even sorry. Mm-hmm. Forgiveness is I'm not going to let them have any more real estate in my mind and heart. Exactly. I am going to let it go and let God have it, if you will. I'm going to, because everyone reaps what they sow. And I'm going to sow love. I'm going to sow compassion and forgiveness and lay the rest alone. Because there was enough, that situation had enough real estate, if you will, time in my mind. And so beginning to learn how to walk that out and let it go. That's beautiful. And I would imagine your your daughter benefited from having a less angry mom. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It's one of those things we think I can never forgive forgive that person, regardless, as you say, what what they've done. 
but I like how you put it isn't up to us to to do the work we just need to forgive ourselves for our thoughts our behaviors or, or any of those sort of things uh yeah forgiveness is a tricky one isn't it it's almost like taking poison yourself and expecting the other person to die that's how i usually like to explain our forgiveness yeah, and and in so, some incidences that I've you know, in some of my clients, we've it's even even though it sounds funny, is I need to forgive God because this happened, and why did it? Why did it let this happen? Yeah, um, and the why questions are very debilitating. Oh, we can get so stuck in the whys, can't we? And go round and round and round. Instead of asking the whys, why don't we begin by going, what now? Yes. And going back to your very early statement of saying, I don't know how to do this. And being honest with yourself rather than keeping all that inside. And yes, you wanted to prove to others that you could do it, (laughs) but that would have been not being truthful to yourself, the fact that you were able to have that outpouring and acknowledge that you didn't know how to do all this, that had to have been freeing as well. Uh, I think if I think about the moment, it was more scared. (laughs) (laughs) I was really scared because this isn't just about you. You're holding this. You're bringing. Yeah. You know, it's not about if it was just about me, we figure it out. But you've got a little bitty newborn baby in your arms and trying to figure out how this is going to work. So one of the keys I've learned in in my program, one of the ones I've created is called Turn Your Baggage Into Luggage, is beginning to search for the gift and the adversity. What can I learn? What can I grow? What can I become? That seems really hard sometimes when we're we've experienced grief in a deep way is like, I don't want to learn anything from this. I wish this never happened or something like that. But learning to look for the gift, it makes my eyes lift up from my feet, if you will, mm-hmm. looking downcast and begins to make my eyes look down the road that this isn't a forever thing. You won't be in this stage. You've probably heard this. If your life is a book, let this be a chapter, a page, a paragraph, but not my whole life. And begin to use these things to create the life we would love in vibrance, as I call vibrant living. So if I'm going to drive my car down the road, and I look in the rear view mirror the whole way down the road, do you think I'm going to get very far before I crash? That's a beautiful way of saying it. I love that. So the windshield is bigger on purpose. Yes. The rear view mirror is smaller <laughs> on purpose. So I look and create, yes, the past, the past, you know, influenced, but it doesn't determine my future. Unless I let it. So beginning to look out the windshield instead of backwards, what is possible? 
what could be is so much better questions than why. Isn't it just, yes. Oh, I love how you said that. The windshield is so much bigger than the the, the rear view mirror. <laughs> I have to remember that one. Thank you. And just your um your workshop, turning baggage into luggage and choosing joy says a lot. It, it sort of sums up just what you've been talking about it. So when people come to that workshop, are you still running those workshops yes. now? Yes. Yeah. So do you take sort of a, an inventory of when they arrive to when they leave your workshops? Yes. We take an assessment, if you will, of where they find themselves. Yeah. I call it, since I've got the car analogy, I talk about where I am on my own map. Mm-hmm. You know, you talked about that piece of being honest. I don't know how to do this. That was where I was on my map at that point. Yeah. I don't know how. And it's like, but but so many times we're pretending. Yeah. We're ignoring that yes. we don't actually be honest with where I am on my map. And so in in the in my program, that's one of the first things is where am I today? Because if I'm taking a road trip, let's say to Chicago, and I I didn't I you know ignore or falsify where I'm starting from, I'm gonna have a hard time getting to Chicago. <laughs> exactly. And we do that with life. We're not we're and we don't have anybody with accountability and the support to give us a safe place sometimes Mm -hmm. to be really honest with ourselves on where we are, not to let these times, these incidents, these occurrences, these pain points in our life define our whole life so that we could build the life we've dreamed. And they're pivotal moments. We get to choose whether we, um, One of our, you probably heard this Bible verse in Psalms 23, I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I will fear no evil. Well, most of us don't walk through it. We built a camp. (laughs) I've heard that. Um, One of my previous guests, I I just thought that was beautiful. We don't pitch a tent and roast marshmallows. Exactly. I'm not making s'mores. It's time. I it it means walk through. It is forward motion. I am not looking in my rearview mirror. I am moving forward. And so, even if it feels like you're not, just your thoughts of looking forward moves you forward. It doesn't have to be giant steps. You're not running a marathon. Yeah. It's beginning to take those small steps so that you can turn your baggage into luggage and build the life you've actually dreamed. It is possible. I see so many people do it every single day. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And again, it's a choice, as you said, you could have been so bitter at all the expectations you had in that one small uh, lens of your life, if you like, But circumstances sort of turned it around so that you were able to make your baggage into luggage so that you're able to move forward. I love what you said as well, allowing yourself to 
who say, I don't know, I don't know how to do this. To me, that's being vulnerable. When you when you allow yourself to be that vulnerable, to me, there's courage, there's strength in just saying that. And by doing so, it means you're able to trust yourself. Because if you're, as you said, you're lying to yourself if you pretend everything's okay. Yeah. So I love the languaging you have there as well. Sounds like you found a lot of resilience and a lot of transformation from those early times. You've married a wonderful man by the sounds of it. (laughs) You have other children. I do. Um, we have uh, two more kids together. Yeah. So I, we have a total of three and um, seven grandkids. Oh, wonderful. Mm-hmm. So it just goes to show it really is a choice and a mindset of what is it you would like to have in your life. I'd like to uh, cycle back to your podcast, You Were Designed for Greatness. Can you share some of the stories from your guests um, and some of the lessons that you've encountered? Oh, well, I've been doing it for five years. So that is, I'm trying to recall. But where I came up with the name is my podcast coach, when I was starting it, said, what do you want people to know? Like, I want people to walk away with knowing that they were designed for greatness. Mm-hmm. One of the things we most misunderstand is what is greatness? What is Sounds greatness? very grandiose, doesn't it? It does. Yeah. And one of my blogs is Small Hinges Move Big Doors. Mm-hmm. And it is um, those little things. I was reading a story this morning that will illustrate a little bit. And it was in a clinic and a doctor was running, hurrying, and he turned the corner and almost collided and knocked, almost knocked a woman down who was an elderly cleaner in this, in this clinic, in this facility. And to cover his embarrassment, he said, oh, I'm so sorry. How long have you worked here? Well, I've worked here a long time. Well, you must know some really great history about this clinic. Um, could you tell me something about it? I'd like to learn. She says, I can show you better. So she takes this doctor down to the basement and shows him this cage in the basement. So what is this? Says, this is the place, and I think her name was Anne. This is where Anne was kept. When she was brought in, she was in, was like a psychiatric hospital. She was incorrigible. Mm-hmm. They couldn't touch her. They couldn't get near her. She would bite and spit everybody. And she said, and I began, I was cleaning the basement and I would watch them try to, and they couldn't do anything. They wouldn't let her examine her. She was just out of control. She said, so I got the idea to bake her some brownies. So I bought her some brownies and timidly came up to the cage and said, Anne, I made you some brownies. You can have them if you want. If you don't, you can ignore them. And she left and Anne had ate those brownies. And her and Anne, we build up where she started talking to Anne. 
and they started having communication. And then the doctors noticed, and they would have this maid, this house cleaner, stand okay. near her and so allow him to examine her. So pretty soon, Anne was released and was in it, but they discovered she was blind. Oh. And so she was she was getting better. And so she was able to go back home. They had walked her through. Now, one of the doctor's friends in the, in the beginning times knew of another little girl who was blind and um, also having trouble, couldn't speak. And she was doing the same kind of behavior, was biting and spitting and just mad and angry. And she said, and they heard the story about Anne. So they hired Anne to be her teacher of this other little girl. And that girl that was deaf and blind was Helen Keller. I was just going to ask you. And the whole story of, was it Anne who transformed Helen's life? Or was it this unknown cleaner Mm -hmm. of this clinic who made a difference? Now, who was greater? No one will ever hear, very rarely hear, of this person who still is an elderly woman, still cleaning the same building. Mm -hmm. And how, but everybody's heard of Helen Keller. And so, so many times, what is greatness? Mm -hmm. It's those kind of stories where we do an act of kindness. We do whatever our gifts are without comparison to the person next to us mm-hmm. or comparison to someone who's famous because yeah. those small things she transformed Helen Keller's story has touched so many people many people yes can you imagine if we hadn't got a, a world without knowing Helen's story and oh, she just and this woman baked brownies what a small inconsistent in you know important seemingly important thing she baked a few brownies and began to make a change how many people's lives Mm -hmm. so when I say you were designed for greatness that's the kind of thing I'm talking about is those small stories that we don't know the impact we can make when we truly live who we are authentically and began to be that. So that's not one of my client story or one of the guest stories, but I, to me, that's so appropriate to describe what I'm talking about on the podcast. Oh, that's beautiful. So the guests that come on your show are obviously people that have those sort of stories to share. They're, they're stories of overcoming adversity and most of them minimize. I'm not a big deal. Why do you want me on your podcast? Most of the most of us minimize our story. You know, I'm just a little girl who was hurt. But who would know when we begin to share our story and just to do what is in our hearts? Everyone is unique, amazing. There's no one else with your DNA. No matter what adversity you faced in your life, no matter what grief point. There still does not change the purpose, the calling, and the giftings in your life. And when we begin to do that, the person who's most surprised is ourselves. 
We were surprised. I did that. (laughs) Exactly. And so learning to be able to explore and be you, uniquely you, to me, that's vibrant living. And that's what it's all about. Well, I think you've given the listeners a lot to uh, think about just with that one story. And I think that's just a testament to our humanness that instead of judging or looking down on somebody, like that doctor could have been so mean and made it her fault, but he saw her, saw her and took an interest. And I think we all just want to be seen and heard. So if we could just take the time, doesn't matter where or who we are, but if we can go through our lives like that, you never know when your smile or just a kind word to somebody is going to make all the difference. No, I love how you said that. Yeah. So what is next for Donna? Um. I am continuing to grow and reach more people with a vibrant living. I think this message of you are designed for greatness and how to walk, to step into helping people achieve whatever passion, whatever dream is in their heart, that it is possible. So helping people to do that is what is continuing and expanding for me, how to, I call it, increase our spiritual intelligence. And I mean that from, of course, a Christian perspective, but learning to be able to, for example, everything is created twice. First, it's a thought Uh, before it becomes a thing. uh Someone first thought of the computer or Zoom or microphones or the desk or chair or cars. Someone thought of it first. And then it became something that we were experiencing. So learning how to create our dreams. um, I don't have enough time to explain all of that, but I think they get the concept with that. Everything produces after its own kind. Mm -hmm. If I go back to me being angry and hurt, if I stayed that, that would have produced in my life. That would have been the harvest I reaped. Exactly. Instead, I sowed forgiveness and love and compassion to myself and others. Mm -hmm. And I have reaped that a hundred thousand times, million times fold in my life. Mm -hmm. And when we realize we can choose what my future is going to look like by the seeds I'm planting today. And how do I practically do that? is what I'm doing today in my most in my one of my most favorite things. Yeah. Sort of what um what thoughts? Yes. Because out of the thoughts we're creating yes those those seeds. Are they negative thoughts or are they going to be loving positive thoughts for sure? Oh I love how you said that. So that is your next big opportunity. Yeah, I have be, I have begun and I'm working with people now helping them through that. But yes, I am expanding that because the it is inconceivable the amount of impact that when we begin to realize this 
how big it could be in our lives, how much of an impact um, we can make. So yes, it's something that I'm continuing to expand. And I think that is so needed in today's climate, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. So I think before we came on air, you mentioned that it was leaders that you're working with. People, I, I call them vision, heart-centered visionary people. Mm. So I'm still, I, I am continuing the the work with people who have overcoming trauma, if you will, or um, painful disappointments. Disappointments are devastating. You know, I say that word, but man, d- disappointments knock the rug out from under us, take our breath away. It's mm-hmm. huge. And so still helping with that. But people taking people, especially those that are heart-centered visionaries that really mm-hmm. want more in their life and how yeah. do I get it? And so helping them achieve their dreams so that they can be like Helen Keller, making a bigger impact. Making a difference. So we may be hearing stories of Donna and her early beginnings on how she created somebody <laughs> who created the next Helen Absolutely. Sounds wonderful. Do you run these? Is it workshops? Is it one-on-ones? I mentioned that you were a coach. (laughs) Yes. Um, My Turn Your Baggage Into Luggage is a workshop that people can access on my website as well as a coaching program. Okay. So there is a 30-minute workshop that is available for people to get their feet wet, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, and then if they want some more support, that is available too. I have another workshop, Life by Design, which it introduces a lot of the concepts I was talking about, your spiritual intelligence and developing that. Both of those workshops are available. And mm-hmm. then they can schedule a consultation with me. And we can see what else might be available to them um, would be a great opportunity for them. Yeah. And where might people find you, Donna? <laughs> I am on our social media, but they'll okay. get to gain access. And these workshops are on demand. So you can watch them on your schedule. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, both of them are on my website as well as a tab to schedule a chat with me to learn more. And my website is the letter I vibrant living.com. Okay. We'll make sure we have all that in the show notes so people can readily find you. Donna, thank you so much for, um, sharing all that with us. I'm sure you've given the listeners, a lot to think about and um, some hope that regardless of what they're going through right now in this moment, it can be turned around. So I really appreciate what you're doing and thank you for being with us today. My pleasure, Anne. Thank you as well. Well, listeners, that indeed is a wrap, as I like to say. Until next time, I'm Anne. Bye-bye for now. Well, listeners, that indeed is a wrap. Be sure to follow us by clicking on the link and you'll be the first to know when a new episode drops. And if you are feeling inspired, please leave a review. And if you are indeed grieving, please know you don't have to feel alone in your grief, but reach out. As a coach, I'm more than happy to chat with you 
on how coaching can both support you in your chaos and pain without forcing you to endure your grief-stricken world. You can contact me at Anne at understandinggrief.com or you can visit my website at Understanding Grief. I'm Anne. Bye-bye for now.